Okay? Helen, thank you. Last week we began our study of the Ten Commandments. And we turned the negative to the positive, if you were with us. Thou shalt have no other gods before me came, became thou shalt have me. And so today, commandment number two, before we read God's word, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Let us realize it's your word, not ours to change, make to fit our agendas, but it's your word that should change us and make us who you want us to be. So, Father, speak to us today through your Holy Spirit that inspired the writers of these words, inspire us to hear them. Father, thank you for this time together. Remove obstacles that might prevent us from being able to worship and to see you clearly. In Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6. You know these words very well. You've heard them a long time. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in the heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. So that's the second commandment. At first look, it might seem that this would be the easiest of all the ten to keep. <clears throat> we don't sit around and carve little images of stone and wood and put them in our homes and bow down to them every night. You would think we could handle this one. It's not that difficult to grasp. But as we think about it, it must not be as easy as all of that because this seems to be the first commandment that was broken by the Israelites after Moses received them. You remember that story from Exodus chapter 32. Let's read that. Moses is getting the Ten Commandments from God. So, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come make gods for us who shall go before us as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Talk about attention deficit disorder. Do you remember what they went through and what God did for them to get out and away from Pharaoh? All of the plagues, all of the miracles, walking through the sea on dry ground. And after a few weeks, as for this Moses, we don't know what happened to him. So make us something else there, sir. And Aaron said to them, Take off your gold rings that are on your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters. Bring them to me. So all the people took off gold rings from the ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose up the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. Back on the mountain, verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, go down there at once. Your people whom you brought, isn't that interesting language? Your people, not my, your people. Parents do this, don't we? 
I talk to Jeannie about her son all the time, or her daughter all the time, when they do something wrong. And the Lord said to Moses, go down. Your people, who you brought out of Egypt, have acted perversely. They've been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They've cast for themselves an image of a calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. A lot of interesting thoughts here. One hit me this week. You ever thought, why a calf? Why a calf? If you're fashioning a god and you want to make one up, they chose a pretty good one. Because a calf is a servant. His only role is to serve you by giving you milk or giving you meat. That's all they do. This god of a calf, the main reason of existence is to serve its people by giving and meeting their needs. And people like a God like that today. A God that gives and requires nothing in return. They're not hard to please, calves are. The only thing you have to do, and I lived in farm country, and I've got neighbors, that I had neighbors that had cows, you have to give them a place to graze, and you have to give them water, and after that, you don't have to do too much. They pretty much take care of themselves. You just keep them pinned up in the part of the field you want them to be. That kind of God wouldn't tell you what to do. You would tell him. You keep him pinned up, let him in the parts of your life you want, and the other parts you just put up a bottom wire fence and God can't come there. So the calf is making sense if you want to control your God. The calves, well, they're not too smart. If you were to name the brightest animals in the animal kingdom, I don't think that the calf would be towards the top of your list. Not even in the top ten. And people like a God that doesn't know what they're up to, and so they chose a calf. The calf isn't threatening. There isn't any way he can harm or punish me. And people like that, they don't want a God that will harm or punish so it's interesting to me that they chose a calf. And because they chose the calf, you remember what happened to their behavior when they substituted that idol for the true God. We saw that in verse 6. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. And if you do a little word search there, it's not a pleasant thing. They've gone absolutely wild. It's Mardi Gras and Burning Man and Carnival all thrown into one, and that's what's going on. And so what the second commandment is doing is warning us of creating a God that we control. But we don't do that with wood or stone. And I thought for a while we might be exempt from this one. But the dangerous thing that I've been guilty of in breaking the Ten Commandments, and if you're honest, you've done it too, is we create an image of God in our mind that sometimes has nothing to do with the God of the Bible. And the reason it's so dangerous is because my obedience to God is determined by my image of God. My obedience to God is determined by my image of God. And so if I think God's a calf that doesn't know much and stays in a field of I'm going to act any way I please like the 
did in Exodus 32. If I believe God is absent, I can act any way I please. If I believe that God is deaf, I'll say anything I want to say. If I believe that God is blind, I'll do whatever, whenever. If I believe that God is prejudiced, then I'll be prejudiced too. I read this this week about creating a God in our image, and I thought it was interesting. You can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You've created something in your image when he hates the same people you do. If I believe that God is all-knowing, omniscient, all-powerful, omnipotent, and always with me, omnipresent, there's a good chance I will behave. And that's the kind of God the Bible talks about and teaches. Not an absentee God, one that is with me always. That should comfort us that God is with us, and it should also scare us to death. Because he knows everything. If we're not careful, we can begin to worship an image of God in our own mind that can be very different from the God of the Bible. And any attempt for us to form him in our own thinking is going to make a very small God. So turn this commandment to the positive like we did last week. We could say here that God is saying, Thou shalt know me, the real me. And that takes a lifetime to get to know. We are still learning. That's one of the reasons you ought to be in Sunday school. To get to know God, the real God. That's why you ought to read your scriptures every day. To get to know God, the real God. Because if you're stuck somewhere with an image that you're comfortable with, you're stuck. So, how are we supposed to get an accurate picture of God? Is there anything God has given us to enable us to get to know Him uh, the way that He wants us to get to know Him? You know the answer to that, yeah. And His name is Jesus. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and following about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all things in heaven and on earth were created things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So watch Jesus and do what Jesus did. And you'll be like God wants you to be. Colossians 2.9 says the same thing. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So if you want to know the true picture of God, look to Jesus. This is an interesting commandment, the second commandment, because there's a warning with this one. Beginning at the second part of verse 5 and going through verse 6. After he tells you, don't do this, don't make an image, wood or stone, but he's talking about the mind too, I believe. He says this, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. 
but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You know that's true. You've seen this happen. Remember we looked at this last week from Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 to 9, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your might. Keep these words that I'm commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you are home, when you're away, when you lie down, when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them with an emblem on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. We talk about how our Jewish friends recite that twice a day in Shema, which is Hebrew for hear, as in hear, O Israel. But verse 7, I think, applies to the second Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Some people call this part of the second commandment the law of heredity because it affects the generations behind us. Galatians 6, 7 to 10 talks about that law too. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you'll reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary of doing what is right, for we'll reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those of the family of faith. As I think about the warning in the second commandment, and I think about the Shema, and I think about reaping and sowing from Galatians, I ask the question of myself and of you too. Do you have anybody in your family that's dropped the ball? I do. I'm proud to tell you today that our son and our daughter will be in church. and We've worked hard to let them know that's the way to live. But I have some family member that years ago got his feelings hurt about, I don't know why, he quit going to church and his children grew up not going to church and today they're not in church. It's sad to see. If all of the mothers and fathers dropped the ball and stopped doing what was right concerning the training of their children, we're in trouble. We're one generation away if we all drop the ball. And the consequences are starting to show. And so it is warning us to make sure that we instruct. But it's also letting us know the great reward the great reward for a job well done, that God will bless the generation after generation after generation. How many of you in here can trace your faith through your family? You came to Christ because of someone in your family. It's most of us in here. And that puts a responsibility on us. So be careful how you see God. Get to know the true God. And don't think for a moment that the idolater is too foolish to know that his God is man-made. He knows it because that's precisely the God he wants, a God that he can control. On the front of your bulletin, there's the hands of a potter turning clay into a vessel. And we're going to sing our invitation, have thine own way, God, have thine own way. You are the potter, we are the clay. That's the way it's supposed to be. But I guess we've all been guilty at times of making a God that we wanted. 
like Aaron, we've probably formed a God in our mind to think that, well, I can do this and I can do that and he doesn't know this. That's a false God. And we all have to be very careful. So when we sing our hymn of invitation, we do not sing, I'll have my own way, Lord, I'll have my own way, I'm the potter, you are the clay. We think just the opposite. And we work at it every day of our life. Let's pray.